Welcome to the QMC Board and Collar, news and thought-provoking discussions for today's emergency medical service provider. The Board and Collar podcast series is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in emergency medical transportation revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, your host for today's podcast, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvat. We're so glad that you joined us this afternoon and hope you'll find that today's program to be informative, thought-provoking, and I will tell you, even a little entertaining as we move forward. Let me introduce to you today uh, my colleague, Ed Morasco. Ed is the Vice President of Business Development here at QuickMed, and Ed's responsible for developing new business opportunities and service lines, and he provides consulting to medical transportations all across the U.S. Um, Ed's very well known for his uh, association with the associate with the air medical industry and he's been involved with those folks for more than 20 years and served a number of capacities including the fixed wing committee the finance and reimbursement committee uh, he's also served on the Ames board of directors uh, we're very fortunate here to have Ed uh, with us and I know most of you who uh, have are on the air medical side have probably met Ed at one time or another and many of you who are local to Western Pennsylvania um, also know Ed because he's been a, a figure in Western Pennsylvania EMS for many years, um, many, many years. We uh, consider ourselves one of the older guys. So uh, we're glad to have Ed. So with this, I hope uh, you find today's uh, program very informative. I know Ed has done this program at a number of uh, uh, local uh, uh, organizations. He's done some regional, statewide, and even on a national level. So I think you're in for a treat today. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn this over to my colleague, Ed Morasco. Ed, welcome, and thanks for, uh, for thanks for participating today. We're glad you're here. Well, Gary, thanks for the generous introduction. I appreciate it. And thanks to all of you out there for joining us this afternoon. Uh, if you're around Western Pennsylvania, you'll know we're just about ready to uh, build the ark. It's been raining pretty much nonstop since springtime arrived here. Uh, but hopefully you're someplace where it's a little sunnier and a little more dry. Um, but again, thanks for taking the time to, uh, to be here with us. So we're going to spend the next hour or so talking about leadership. And there are a variety of good books out there uh, talking about the uh, habits of highly effective leaders, leaders who serve, uh, leaders who can organize well, and those sorts of things. And probably uh, you might even look on your own shelves uh, and find something uh, that would give you some visibility into sort of leadership. I had a kind of an odd body experience a couple of years ago in the wintertime. Uh, it was a snowy Saturday morning and uh, I was sitting in the family room and lo and behold, there was a, a Godfather marathon on. As I sat there um, sort of watching, and Gary will tell you I'm sort of a movie buff uh, and I enjoy those sorts of things. And it, it occurred to me that much of what we need to know about leadership uh, can be found in pearls within uh, the Godfather movie. So in the Godfather trilogy, if you, if you don't know the story, I apologize, but it's a great story. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Godfather saga tells a story about an immigrant who and his family come to the United States. He rises to power and prominence um, with a goal of sort of creating a legitimate business out of sort of what is originally the family business. In many ways, uh, the evolution of EMS has tremendous parallels to the Godfather and the story that's being told by Coppola. Uh, you know, we started out very much as a, as a kind of a family industry and maybe in some organizations very much today, it's still like that. But over the course of time, external influences have sort of caused us 
to treat ourselves more professionally, both individually and within our organizations. Um, and this creates some challenges, some of the same challenges that were faced by the Corleone family. Challenges to the mission, maybe shifts in the mission, changes in what the original intent was of the organization, much like um, in the Corleone family. Recruitment and retention of good people, which is incredibly consistent across the country. When I talk to our colleagues and our customers and others, uh, almost to a person, to an organization, that's one of the main challenges that they face. And then lastly, and probably not least, is the fact that there's a tremendous amount of change facing us in the industry. And so that's something that also, um, if, you, if you've had a chance to watch the movies, you'll know throughout them, um, there's quite a bit that goes on over the course of the, of the movies, uh, the changes from location to the type of business they're in and those sorts of things. So during the time we have a lot of, we're gonna try and explore some of the pearls that can be found uh, within the Godfather movies. What I hope to do is to accomplish a few things with you. I'm gonna talk a little bit about what leadership actually is and what it is not. Uh, we'll review some of the key elements uh, from leadership yesterday, today, and hopefully as you look forward to tomorrow. I wanna to discuss a little bit about mission, vision, and values. It's incredibly important, um, the need to create a good vision and uh, how that emanates from the, from the original mission of the organization and how you make it resonate with the people. I want to talk to you a little bit about the importance of putting in place good structural elements that mirror the mission, vision, and values of the organization. And then one of the most important things is how is it that we actually lead our people? We'll touch a little bit on the importance of understanding the folks that work for us, uh, what motivates them, and, uh, and how we help them and our organizations be successful. And then I want to talk lastly a little bit about opportunities for success. How is it that we avoid failure mode uh, in the work that we do? Because it's incredibly important to our communities, uh, and we also want to make a great place for, uh, for our staffs to work as well. So, what is leadership? Importantly, what is good leadership? And maybe sort of related to that, what's effective leadership? All these are important questions as we try and move forward in our organizations. Uh, I did some homework on this. I tried to come up with something that's distilled down all the things you read from the various books, whether you're uh, you know, reading Eli Goldratt and the Goal or um, you know, servant leadership books. Um, and at the most basic level, what leadership is, is creating a vision that originates from the mission of the organization that um, uh, resonates with the people who you have in your organization, and also making sure you have the structural elements in place to support pursuing that mission of the organization. What you're trying to do is get people to sort of row the boat in the same direction. And, and then lastly, uh, understanding your people. And that's one of my favorite parts of the Godfather movies um, is Vito Corleone and his successors and how they motivate their people over time uh, throughout the course of the story. So this first clip uh, is a little bit about vision and mission. Um, in this scene, Don Corleone is confronted with a situation that challenges his vision for the role of his family. He's approached by a guy by the name of Virgil Salazzo about getting his support for a new business venture. Um, Corleone, as you'll find, sort of makes a decision about a very important business deal um, and looks at it from a variety of perspectives. And I think it's instructive to see how he evaluates uh, how the opportunity, which has some benefits, does or doesn't fit in to his organization and what his true mission is. Don Corleone had a, an important decision to make and he stayed true to the mission of the organization 
turned down a great deal of money and perhaps as Tom Hagen, his consigliere, advised him an opportunity for the future. But he wanted to remain consistent with the original intent of the family, um, even though the opportunity seemed incredible in some aspects. So we have to make sure that we keep in mind the origins of the mission. Also, there is a, a piece of pearl in there about at least evaluating new opportunities within that might be within our mission or related to our mission. So you sort of have to calibrate um, the mission. And a, and a good mission statement, a good vision statement is something that should be timeless and should remain relevant both in current times and then, of course, as we lay the foundation for, for tomorrow. It has to be somewhat adaptable because otherwise we may miss opportunities for our organization to grow and to develop. So one of the questions for you is, does your organization actually consider these things when you're making decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, for example, uh, I was in a hospital uh, a boardroom not too long ago, maybe about three months back, doing a presentation, made the shortlist in, uh, in, in an opportunity to do some billing for an organization. And up on the wall was a list of their mission statement and their vision and values, right on the wall in the boardroom. And I said to the, to the chief financial officer who was in there, I said, why do you have that up there? He said, well, as our board makes decisions and we have our senior management team meetings in this room, one of the things that you'll see happen very regularly is that we'll look at that wall and say, you know, where does this decision, where does this opportunity, where does this new service line we're considering fit into the mission, vision, and values of the organization? Is it a part of our service to the community? Is it a part of our bringing new technology to healthcare, where actually does this project fit? And if it doesn't, if it's not consistent, then it helps them make a good decision about whether or not um, it's something that they should invest resources in, whether that be people or, or time or, or energy or money. So again, trying to stay true to the origins of the mission. And in this case, you know, young Vito Corleone saw injustice in, in New York, and this is a, a clip from, a, not a clip, but this is a picture from an earlier scene. And, and he really, he wasn't trying to um, advance himself in a political way other than to protect his community, his individual family and their interests moving forward. Um, and while sort of there's, there's a lot of politics involved throughout the movie, um, you know, he felt like, you know, getting into the drug business was not something that was um, consistent with his, his values, the values of his family and his organization. Um, so again, the other thing that's important too about this is, he, he didn't ignore the opportunity. He listened and considered it in the context of the larger mission of the organization. So very important. Um, you know, this is a scene from, from one of the later movies where uh, Michael Corleone is taking over, and they had a goal of getting out of all the illegal businesses and moving the organization to be more of a legitimate business um, because Corleone had promised um, a woman that he was that he was pursuing, his girlfriend at the time, that he wasn't going to become a man like his father. And he acknowledged that the old ways of doing business were gone and that even his father recognized that um, the, the old structures and things didn't necessarily serve the family well. So again, we have to make sure we calibrate the, the, the mission for current times um, as we move forward. And then, of course, uh, they made the move to Nevada, and this, this scene, this picture is from a scene where Johnny Fontaine, um, who had a couple of favors done by the Godfather, um, comes to visit uh, Michael Corleone in Las Vegas, and Michael Corleone asks him to participate um, in some shows and, and some presentations. 
in a legitimate business enterprise. So again, looking forward to the future, uh, he wanted to make sure uh, that things were, were moving ahead and he could accommodate what was happening in the marketplace. Not unlike our situation in EMS, where the old days of simply going to emergency calls in our service area was the only thing we worried about, right? It was a typical fee-for-service enterprise where, well, we did a transport, we got a check. Well, now there's all sorts of challenges. Uh, we hear things like, you know, payment for treatment and no transport. We hear things like not just providing 911 care, emergency care, emergency services, but also taking responsibility for transporting patients between hospitals, maybe helping patients stay out of the hospital. So, you know, the, the sort of mission of our organizations and the vision that we that we share with our colleagues and we, and we try and pursue are going to change over time. In fact, probably in the last 10 to 15 years have changed quite a bit because the marketplace, the environment that we operate in has changed as well. So again, very important that the mission has to remain somewhat fluid. At this point, I'd like to stop and see if there are any questions from the audience. Ed, we did have one question come in from uh, our valued client in New York. And uh, so it's actually a really good question. Um, looking for a response from you, please. As a leader, how do I remind my teams about our mission, vision, and values? Good question. Yeah, great question. And thank you for that. Um, look, I think the key to ensuring that you and your team are relying on the mission, vision, and values as you make every you know, as you make everyday decisions, kind of that example that came from the hospital, you have to keep it in mind. It's not something that should be written in your policy book or, or uh, something that, you know, maybe uh, is something that you dust out once a year to review and make sure it's still current. You have to keep it top of mind. For example, one of the things you'll find around here uh, is you, if you walk in, in and out of the offices and in our conference rooms and such, uh, you'll find, um, a little bit about our mission, a little bit of our, our vision, and um, and some of the things that are important to us up on the wall. Uh, and so that becomes really, really important. You have to have, um, uh, you know, a way to sort of continue, continually keep that in, in front of your teams that are doing the work every day. And hopefully over time, um, it'll become a part of their pattern of decision making. You know, um, you know, we have, for example, we have a recognition program that we allow our our team members to recognize colleagues for things that they do really, really well. And one of the things they're able to do, which is really wonderful, is um, when they recognize them and say, I think, you know, Gary Harvard should be, should get a special award um, because of something he did. When they present that nomination, if you will, one of the things they do is they tie it to one of our very specific values. So if you, if you walked around the halls here, you would see some some uh, recognition awards up on the wall for individuals who've been recognized, and it'll tell you which value. Was it integrity? Uh, was it relationships? Which value um, was their colleague recognizing them for? So again, trying to find ways to weave the mission, vision, and values into the everyday decision-making, everyday life in the organization becomes important. Gary, any other questions at this point? Yes, one more, Ed. This comes from Massachusetts. Uh, one of our clients is asking, we're not sure our organization has a mission statement. How do you su suggest we approach this with our management? Yeah, great, great question. It's a wonderful question. So um, it's one of those things maybe where uh, if you have staff meetings or an opportunity to gather with, with your leadership is to ask them, you know, what are the core values of the organization? What are the things that are important? Um, why are we here? Why are we doing what we do? 
and, uh, and maybe even uh, provide them with some examples of good mission statements from other organizations. And this is one of those things where if you do it, did a Google search, uh, you, for example, you could go to our website actually, and you would find on our website published our mission, vision, and values. Um, I'm sure a lot of other organizations, both in, in the uh, medical transport space and in healthcare, as well as outside, in fact, hospitals, oh gosh, almost every hospital website you go to somewhere prominently in the front, um, you'll see some examples, you'll see their mission, mission statement, and maybe a little bit about their values. So it wouldn't be a bad idea also to put that in front of your leadership and say, you know, perhaps we should have something like this that guides our employees, that gives our employees, our, our team members, um, sort of some direction about how we think about things. Any more questions? I think that covers it for the moment. They're a little gun shy on talking aloud, so uh, they'll they'll use me as their conduit to you, Ed. Nothing Fantastic. Well, I appreciate that, Gary. Thanks very much. And uh, as we move forward, please uh, raise those hands if you uh, if you have other questions. So let's talk a little bit about structure, which is also very important. So um, in this scene, Tom Hagen, who's the consigliere to the Corleone family, goes to see a fellow by the name of Frank Pantangeli after. Uh, Frank Pantangeli had sort of turned state's evidence and he was going to testify against the Corleone family. Um, and eventually they find a way to influence him not to testify. And so this is after uh, it becomes obvious that he's not going to participate um, in the FBI's case against the family. Um, and this is Hagen going to visit him. And they have an interesting conversation where they talk a little bit about history and structure. Um, I think the learning point here is that structure does make a difference. Um, you want to make sure that you've got a structure created that's going to support the mission of the organization. Um, within that structure, how you communicate, uh, how you share responsibility and authority for doing certain things becomes important as well. And as they allude to in the clip, um, also requires some flexibility because the, the needs of the organization may change over time. And they acknowledge there that that um, the old ways of the Corleone family, the old structure maybe wouldn't serve the organization as well today as it did at one time. So when I say create a, um, a structure that supports the mission, what are we talking about? Well, you know, in this scene, there, this picture from a scene earlier on, it's, it's uh, the Genco Olive Oil Company, um, which employed lots of members of the family and created opportunities around the neighborhood. And, and so the organization was structured to do that. Um, an outsider can learn much about an organization by looking at its structure. So one of the things we see all the time, which is interesting, is in every RFP, just about with one or two exceptions over the last 11 years since I've been here, um, an agency looking for, for billing services, they want to see a copy of our organizational chart. Now, I'm not sure that they care what the names are of the people and, and who's in the slots and, and frequently don't, e don't even ask for qualifications, but they want to see how we're structured because it is um, somewhat a reflection of what's important to us. In fact, in order to be successful, you must structure your organization um, in a way that supports the mission and vision and values. If you say that compliance is incredibly important to you, but we look at your organizational chart and compliance, the, the person who's in charge of compliance is five levels down the food chain and reports to some obscure manager somewhere, then that sends a message that compliance is probably not as important as maybe you're saying it is. And so, if clinical quality is important to your organization, do you have someone in the organization who's structurally responsible for uh, monitoring and evaluating and, and um, improving the quality of the organization? 
if you say you invest in your people um, and training is important to you, do you have a training officer? Do you have a group or a department or a division that focuses on training? If you don't, I would submit to you that perhaps it's not as much of a priority as it might say it is in your mission statement. So again, your structure should really support the mission of the organization and be reflective of those things that are priorities for your organization. And then certainly clear lines of communication in these scenes, and this is a kind of a funny one, Willie Chichi, who's in the lower right-hand corner is being questioned by these senators in the Senate hearing. The senators are up in the upper left-hand corner. And um, it's, a, it's a hearing about the mafia, and it sheds some light, light on lines of communication within the Corleone family. Um, and uh, the reason part of the family turned on itself was poor communication as the family grew and diversified. So Willie Chichi um, was, uh, was a lieutenant of, of uh, Frankie, and um, there was a hit put on um, Frank Pantangeli, but it wasn't it was by someone related to the family, but not necessarily. And there wasn't a lot of communication. And so Pantangeli and Chi-Chi end up in this jam testifying because they thought the family had turned on him. And it's kind of a funny story because the senator's asking him, he said, uh, have you killed at the behest of your supervisors? And Willie Chi-Chi says, what do you mean? And he says, well, has Michael Corleone ever given you a direct order to kill somebody? And he said, and he kind of looked at him, he said, well, or is all that communication done through uh, a series of buffers? And he said, yeah, yeah, the family, we got a lot of buffers, which means that Corleone never gave the, never gave the order directly to him. It's kind of a funny scene in the movie. But the, the important point is there were lines of communication. There was a way information was passed down, but as the family grew and evolved, there were breakdowns, and that created a misunderstanding, which ultimately led to um, uh, someone turning state's evidence against the family. So we have to find solid ways to communicate with our employees, uh, our staff members. And I think what's harder today than it was 15 or 20 years ago is we have to recognize that our staff are much more diverse than they used to be. Um, you know, there are a variety of communication mechanisms that you need to uh, employ to be able to really reach everybody. You know, we've got some people here in our organization who read email all the time. We've got others who never open up email, and the only way to really communicate with them, the only thing that they look at every day um, is text messages. You've got other people who are old school, probably of Gary's vintage or my vintage, that still will look at the bulletin board in the kitchen to see if there's anything new or interesting happening. So um, it's important to figure out among your organization how it is you can communicate, and you probably have to use multiple lines of communication to hit everybody effectively to really make sure that the message is consistent um, and that gets out to all the important members of your team. It also has to be flexible. So this image is uh, a meeting that uh, Don Corleone has with the heads of the fine families after sort of everything has gotten blown up and there's been a lot of hits back and forth. And this is where he's trying to establish a truce. He's attempting to stop the bloodshed and kind of restore order. Um, and he, he makes the decision at great risk to himself and a great complication to have a face-to-face -face meeting because he felt like certain things um, needed to be communicated in person so he could watch the reaction and so people could see uh, sincerity in his eyes and in his voice. Um, and so sometimes you may have to do things face-to-face -face, even though it's not the most convenient. As our organizations have grown and evolved, sometimes we're stretched out geographically over large areas. It becomes harder and harder to have that face time with your employees. But for certain types of things, um, 
you know, we may have to do that. We may have to make the commitment to be out there face to face. So we have to be flexible based on what the message is, um, based on the audience, and based on uh, uh, the most convenient way and the best way to get the message out to the audience, and and also uh, the, the best way to have it understood and explained. So again, we have to be somewhat flexible in our communication, but it's incredibly important, more now um, than I think it ever has been in, in uh, our business. So at this point, let's stop again and see if there are any more questions, questions about uh, lines of communication and structure. Believe it or not, Ed, we have three, and all three of them come from Pennsylvania. So here we go. Number one, I have trouble motivating my people. Some of them seem just to be there to get a paycheck. Any uh, suggestions on getting through to them? Yeah, great question. I, you know, I think one of the keys, um, and uh, there's, a, there's a picture later on in the presentation of Luca Brazzi, and one of the things, if you watch the movies, you remember that Luca Brazzi was, was fiercely loyal to Don Corleone to the point where he killed on his behalf, and, and he was seen as one of the most valuable members of the family. Um, and I think... Um, Don Corleone always understood what motivated Luca Brazzi. And so when you're dealing with different people and organizations, you have to also understand that everybody has a different perspective about why they're there and what work and their professional life means to them. Some people are motivated by the challenge of being successful, whether it's um, saving a life, um, becoming a better paramedic, uh, you know, responding quickly to a call. Some people um, uh, are motivated by, by money. Let's face it, some people, the compensation becomes the most important thing to them. So I think trying to understand your staff and what motivates them is a great way to make sure the incentives are aligned. So you want to get people thinking about the organization in a way that they say, you know, what the organization, what's important to the organization and what's important to me are in sync. They might not be exactly the same, but they coincide nicely together. So trying to communicate um, with the employees, with the staff members in a way that helps them understand how when the organization does well, they're going to do well and vice versa. Okay, Ed, here's uh, question number two. We are a small volunteer organization. Uh, do you feel it's important, even though we're volunteer, to have an employee handbook? Oh, great question. Fantastic question. And the answer is absolutely 100% yes. Because the employee handbook is a way to communicate the mission, vision, and values, and also put some meat around those bones. So, you know, mission statements and vision statements can be sort of very high level, very general. Like one, part of ours is we want to be the partner of choice for revenue cycle management that that 100% of our our clients and our employees would recommend to somebody else, either as, a, as somebody to do revenue cycle management or as a place to work. So that's a pretty broad picture. So how do you drill that down into um, what it means to be an employee or to be a customer. Well, you know, you, in your employee handbook, you talk about things like integrity. You know, we don't want anything dishonest here. We don't want people gaming the system. We want people to show up for work on time. We expect them to come dressed in their uniform. Of course, we don't have uniforms here, but in your world, in EMS, they need to come prepared to work every day, um, those kinds of things. And so what, what a handbook does for you is helps you put some more detail around what it means to be um, consistent with the values and the mission of the organization. So it's incredibly important. And look, I hate to say this, but in this day and age, um, the legal aspects of what we do in our organizations, both medical legally, taking care of sick folks in complicated situations, but also employee relations, there's OSHA requirements and expectations. 
Um, and so we need to be more formalized and, and structured in many ways than we were probably 20 years ago, just because of so much external scrutiny. So I highly recommend the handbook. Now, it doesn't have to be a 100-pager. In fact, that's probably not a good idea, because who the heck's going to read that? One of the things that's important about employee handbooks is to distill them down into the most important points and making sure that we're communicating those most important points directly and clearly to our staff, um, as opposed to, you know, trying to be voluminous. My wife um, accuses me all the time of saying what I could say in 15 words in 50 words, and she's probably right about that. So make sure that your, uh, make sure that your employee handbook is succinct. And we've got the questions still rolling in, so we'll go through them quickly here to stay on track. But uh, any, uh, any good ideas on team building? Yes, absolutely. Another great question. Yeah, so I think one of the things that, that is helpful, and it's, it's a basic part of interacting with other human beings, right, is trying to understand the perspective of the people around you. So if you've got a partner, maybe you don't have regular partners out in the field, you're going to work with someone every three or four weeks on a shift, and uh, you wonder why that person um, can never come in early enough to help you check out the truck and make sure the truck is washed and ready to go to begin the shift. And you can get really frustrated by that because you feel like you're doing all the work. And it may, it may affect how you react and how you interact with your partner during the course of the shift. Maybe you're impatient with them. Maybe you're frustrated. And, and so if something happens, you're not really frustrated because of what happened, but you're frustrated because you had to clean the truck all by yourself and you had to shoulder that responsibility. And look, that could be something that is very frustrating and very challenging. On the other hand, if you knew that, um, that your colleague was going through a pretty rough time at home, maybe they had a sick child or maybe they had a spouse or a parent who was going some, undergoing some testing for a medical condition, and they, were, you know, they weren't coming in late because they were disrespecting you or disrespecting the organization. They were coming in just, and I don't say late, but coming in just on time and not showing up a few minutes early um, for really a pretty legitimate reason, you know, that might, that might help temper the way you interact with that person and how you receive their behavior. Um, so really trying to understand your colleagues is a great way. And if you don't spend any time with people, if you don't have an opportunity to interact and talk with them and learn about them and their perspectives and what's important to them, um, then you have a hard time having that understanding. So I think team building exercises, whether it's at work, whether it's away from work, uh, you know, we had a food truck here this week. And you might say, well, that's a great thing. You know, you guys are doing food trucks because you don't want people to be away from the office only want them to get their lunch and get back to work. Not at all, because they still get the same lunch period. But when you have a food truck out back, everybody's not grabbing their food and going to their individual corners and eating alone. They're, they're uh, out there. There's five or six tables outside, and they're out around the tables. They're getting their food from the food truck, and they're sitting, and they're having lunch together. They're getting a chance to interact. So very important to make those opportunities both during the workday and even after the workday for your employees to, um, to, to sort of understand each other better. Thank you, Ed. And one more, and I think you pretty much covered this. This question may have come in before you covered this, but with the, all the electronic means of communicating today, do you feel having regular staff meetings still play a role? Yeah, great question. And I think the answer is yes, although the technology has allowed us to, um, to do it in more creative ways. So this, this medium that we're using today is an incredible medium where you can see me and, and in a different scenario with a smaller group, I could even see you. Um, and watch the reactions, and we could share information. Um, and, and in addition to sort of large-scale large scale staff meetings, which I think can be very effective at communicating to the masses, um, one of the things that we've employed here, and this is not uh, some sort of brainchild of QuickMate claims, 
it, you'll see it a lot in healthcare, is um, daily team huddles. And so it's a five or seven minute exercise, and we do this across all of our teams. So most of you out there who are current customers, you're probably, you have a billing director and account manager that are sort of assigned to you, and they're, they're a part of the team. And so those account managers will have um, daily sort of huddles where in five to seven minutes, they communicate a couple things. Any news um, from headquarters, any news from leadership that we should be aware of, uh, any news that any of you have that you want to share with us that we need to share with leadership. So anything of interest, that, any questions that you have, then the next thing is, okay, what are our expectations for today? What are the things that are important? And this is where you remind people about safety, about, hey, it's wintertime now, the roads are getting icy, or in the case today here, it's monsooning out there, hydroplaning is, is something that we could be at risk for today. So just remind people to be careful when they're driving. There's a lot of pooling standing water out there. Um, and then lastly, um, how did we do yesterday? You know, anything happened yesterday that's a good learning point. Hey, you know, we had an accident yesterday with one of the trucks. Somebody backed into the garage. Please make sure when you're backing up one of the trucks, you have somebody monitoring uh, what you're doing when you're backing in. So, again, five to seven minutes is a great way to communicate information back and forth and keep the lines of communication. And it has to be two-way. Make sure that your leaders are listening to the employees as well and taking that information and sharing it appropriately, either back up the food chain or across the food chain to make sure other folks benefit from the insight from those employees. Anything else? I think that covers it for the moment. Thank you very much, Gary, for moderating, and thank you for the great questions, wonderful things. So lastly, we want to talk a little bit about people. In this scene, a guy by the name of Bonacera comes to Don Corleone, and he asks them to do a favor for him. And, and Corleone responds um, uh, in a way that Bonacera will understand, and he makes a point. So it's interesting in this scene, Bonacera wants revenge, and the Don realizes that, that what's motivating him, but he also sees an opportunity to create a situation where Bonacera becomes a part or a member of the family, if you will, um, understanding what his needs are and not necessarily giving him what he's, at, what he's asking for. And that's the interesting part of this. When you're leading your people, they're, they're going to have suggestions and you want that feedback from your staff, but you can't always accommodate for a variety of reasons, sometimes financial constraints, sometimes legal constraints, sometimes regulatory things, whatever. But understanding what's the source of the question and being able to respond in a way um, that that provides some benefit to the to the team member, um, but doesn't put you in a bad situation. And so that's the other interesting thing about this clip. But I, when I watch it, I always enjoy it. But I think one of the more fundamental questions you have to ask is, you know, what makes a staff member successful in our line of work? Right? We have to find people who have the attributes that'll make them successful in EMS and, and broad, more broadly in healthcare. Um, and that's what really what's most important. And so some would say, well, we should be recruiting for the best technical person, the person who can start an IV in a car upside down at 3 o'clock in the morning in a creek. And, and I don't deny that that's not important. It's, it's important for our patients. Um, but we also have to understand that that's probably a small percentage of the time, uh, what they're going to be doing a small percentage of the time. We really need to be recruiting for people that can be successful in the overall environment that we operate in. Um, and Don Corleone was a master at understanding the people around him. Um, he knew what motivated them, and he recruited people based on that motivation that aligned with the mission, vision, and values of the family. Um, and EMS is no different. As a leader, we might have to understand our people and what motivates them, and we should be recruiting people who match up with that and align uh, with what we're trying to accomplish in the organization. So we should be recruiting for attitude. 
he understood that um, what qualities in people that could make his organization successful, whether it was loyalty, in this case, Luca Brazzi um, was one of his most loyal and valued human resources in the family because Corleone knew what motivated him. And he knew if he asked him, if he took care of him and he, and he asked him, um, he would accomplish almost anything for him. So the people are critically important to our success. Um, these employment choices that we make are the most decisions, important decisions we're ever going to make as leaders. Um, if you surround yourself with really, really good people, you have a better chance of being successful. So again, recruit for attitude, not necessarily for technical skill. You can teach the technical skills, but the attitude is something that's harder to teach. Um, train your people. It'll help you retain them. Corleone takes over the family, and he spent a lot of time training a new cadre of associates in legitimate businesses. He surrounded himself as the family was trying to become more legitimate with people that had more of a business acumen and were less old-school thugs, if you will. And that was part of him making the transition of the organization. But you also have to invest in your people. It'll not only improve the performance of the organization today, but it'll give us a better chance of maintaining that bond with the staff over time. If you invest in your staff members, many times they'll remember that over time. It'll make them more loyal to you. It'll also make them better employees. And hopefully uh, create a situation where um, they're better at whatever. They're better technicians in the field. They have better attitudes. They're more comfortable, depending on what kind of training you provide for them. With very few exceptions, um, people are indeed our most valuable resource um, in our organizations. And then lastly, you have to motivate for performance, right? We want to find ways to aligning their success and our success. Um, we want to make sure that we recognize good performance. Now, in this scene, this is a sort of a blackmail conversation that happens between Michael Corleone and Senator Geary. I'm not suggesting we blackmail our employees to keep them um, uh, loyal. It's not, a, it's not a legitimate, reasonable option, EMS. But the basic pr premise of understanding what motivated Senator Geary and then how eventually Corleone got him aligned with the family's interest um, is something that we should think about. It's important to remember that motivation is not the same for everyone. Um, much has been written about millennials and some of their motivation. Um, you know, we have, again, I mentioned this earlier, one of the more diverse workforces we're ever going to have, um, you know, in terms of age, culture, socioeconomic background, race, and the challenges and complexities of motivating a staff that's, um, that's so diverse have never been more prominent. So these strategies that we use have to be um, very, very successful, and we have to be consistently willing to um, uh, adjust them as our workforce changes over time. Lastly, plan for transition. There's lots of things going on um, uh, in our organizations. So one of the things I want to leave you with in this section, in the people section, is in addition to leading your people and motivating your people and helping them be successful, you need to be finding that next person to sit in your seat. Whether you're the chief, the director, the lieutenant, um, the shift supervisor, whatever your role is in the organization, one of the things you need to wake up thinking about almost every day is who's that person that's going to step in when you're no longer able to do the function that you're currently doing. Because over time, that's how your organization will remain strong. And so as Michael Corleone says, um, there are many things my father taught me here in this room. He taught me keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Um, those pearls that you have, from doing the job that you do and being in the role you're in the organization are not things that you should keep to yourself. You need to help those who are around you understand those things and help them be successful over a period of time as well because at some point you're going to need them to fill a gap for your organization. Okay, any other questions at this point in time? Yes, Ed, uh, we have two. 
Um, this is actually a pretty good one. I was writing it down. Um, so uh, this comes from one of our uh, Maryland clients. I want to be a leader within my organization as I love my job. How do I promote myself to our leadership without being accused of being a suck up? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. Well, look, leaders are, leaders are not necessarily just the people who hold the titles. And it's a great question because it, it, it brings to light a, a wonderful point. If you look around your organization today, there are those people who have the white shirts on. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not wearing white because because I'm a leader here today. This is, if you can see, this is a quick men shirt, so I'm trying to fly the family colors, if you will. Um, <laughs> but it's not just the people with the white shirts on. There are lots of people around the organization who are informal leaders, people who help to carry the message forward, who embrace the values of the organization, who are committed to the organization and its success. And people around them recognize them. And if you looked around, you probably could, if you look closely enough and you watch what's happening in your organization, you could probably identify who those people are. So one of the ways that you put yourself in a position to maybe be in a formal leadership role is to be a good informal leader. Find a way to continue to advance the mission, vision, and values of the organization, um, and your own, obviously, um, to make sure that you're successful as well. But by being a good informal leader, being a good role model for your staff, particularly if you've been around for a while, you're a more experienced person, um, those newer people or younger people, um, and it'll benefit you as well because um, I was just reading an article about the 911 Center here in Pittsburgh and all the overtime they're doing, or here in Allegheny County, all the overtime they're doing because they can't keep good people for a variety of reasons. But one of the ways you, you help yourself by being a good informal leader is retaining good folks, people who you think are going to be really good, and that puts you in a situation where the organization can be successful and you're not working mandatory overtime, which was one of the big discussions in that article all the time. So. Any other questions, G? Yes, one more. Uh, you mentioned trust in your last segment. How does a leader go about building trust within a team? Ah, that's a great that's a great segue. And let me just move right into the next next uh, uh, segment of the of the presentation. And there's tremendous opportunities here. I'm not going to play this video clip. Uh, it's it's one of the it's sort of related to one of the pictures that uh, that I showed before. But opportunities for success. So. So honor reigns supreme, which means um, these particular traits are incredibly important um, for a leader. If you say something, you need to live up to that commitment. You need to stand by um, the commitments that you make within your organization. So in this scene, um, this barkeep's daughter gets insulted because they didn't realize that that's who they were talking about was his daughter, and he got insulted. And Michael Corleone steps right up to the plate it's kind of a great scene where he says, you, you know, you can either, her, your daughter can either lose a father or gain a husband. But he took responsibility right on the spot um, for what he and his colleagues were saying about the guy's daughter. And he became, you know, he was honorable about the way he did it. And eventually, of course, they get married. Of course, there's a bad out, outcome after that as well. So one of the ways is to be, is to be trustworthy and, and honest and be true to your word at any point in time. The next is to lead with passion. Lead from the heart, right? Look, we can do lots of things in our careers, um, but not all of us are blessed to find something that we're passionate about. So, geez, if you're passionate about what you're doing, and we have a great profession, we get to do things, we get to be with good people, um, we get to make a decent living, but we get to do it really doing wonderful things for our community and, and for the people around us and for patients who need us and they're probably calling us in their worst moments. Um, so lead with some passion. 
Be an employee with some passion. Enjoy what you do. Be committed to it. That's going to help people want to follow you, especially if you're in one of those leadership roles. And believe you me, people can see it. They can see it in your eyes. They know when you're when you it's true passion or whether it's something that's just a put on. So make sure that um, you're doing it that way um, and, and you're behaving that way. The next item is leading by serving. Look, there's a lot of ways to do this. And there's a couple of books out there um, on servant leadership. Um, if you don't have them, uh, I, would, I would consider that you look at it, uh, that you think about putting that on your bookshelf. There's a fellow by the name of uh, Bob Greenleaf and another guy by the name of Ken Keith. And their thesis is that servant leaders are, the, are most effective because they put the concerns of their staff um, ahead of their own, which means it's, it's everything from when you're having that cookout, that employee um, uh, event, networking event, you make sure that everybody else gets fed before you. It's also in the workday when you're working and you know that your employees have been stressed out and they've got back-to-back-to-back calls and you have an opportunity to step in and give them some relief and maybe take a call or maybe, um, and I hate to say the word, take a bullet, given the backdrop that we're talking about here with The Godfather. But there's lots of situations uh, in The Godfather saga where um, you can see the leader stepping up and taking the heat on behalf of the employees. And so that's the other thing you can do. You can step in um, and uh, be the person who takes the brunt of the, whether it's a frustrated patient or a frustrated hospital employee or whatever the case may be. So servant leadership, incredibly important. Um, and last but not least, don't ever forget your humble beginnings, right? Before you wore that white shirt, you were the person taking care of the six folks in the field and remember what it was like to be out there at three o'clock in the morning on your third night in a row, um, when the weather's awful and, and, uh, you've been hollered at a bunch of times and you've been shift, uh, short shifted and you've had mandatory overtime, all those things. Keep those things in perspective as you're leading, make sure you never forget where you came from. Um, and of course... That's one of the things that Vito Corleone lived by, and this is a scene from him, from younger Vito Corleone. So in summary, um, and this is a scene where um, Vito is talking to his son about legitimate, becoming a legitimate individual. He was, a, of course, he was a war hero. Um, Corleone had many leadership qualities, some good and some not so good. Uh, he was called upon to demonstrate leadership, uh, be an advocate for his family and for what he believed in many different circumstances. He certainly wasn't perfect. Um, and he didn't always take the easiest path to be pursued, but the path forward was always based on what was best for his family and how best to accomplish the goals that he had for his family. So um, with that, um, I just want to remind you what we talked about today. The vision for the organization is incredibly important. Make sure the structure is there to support that vision. Hire the best people you can hire. Recruit for those qualities that are going to make them successful. And again, it may not be technical qualities. It may be attitudinal qualities. And last but not least, do not miss those opportunities to motivate your staff and share that vision with your staff and keep them rowing in the same direction that you are, um, whatever the vision is and however the vision is going to change moving forward. So with that, I'm going to stop. We have a few minutes left. And Gary, are there any more questions from the, uh, from the audience? I think they might be all questioned out, Ed. We don't have any other questions, but I did want to say thank you for taking time from your day to present to us. Uh, I know I found the program quite uh, informative and thought-provoking, and it's not my first time of hearing it, so I benefited once again from uh, from your time today. So thank you for that. And I, I hope appreciate that. You're quite welcome. And I hope those who attended today also feel the same. Uh, if I could just kind of digress for a second and 
throw a little plug in for our upcoming programs. Uh, next week on the 17th, we have our uh, 10 questions in 30 minutes. We call it our 10Q30 series. Uh, this month, we are featuring Medical Rescue Team South out of the South Hills of Pittsburgh. I think it, uh, you'll find it to be for informative and uh, maybe even a little helpful. It's a great way to network. If you'd like to join in, please feel to sign up online. And also on the 18th, the very next day, is our documentation training program, which we offer on a monthly basis. Uh, uh, so once again, uh, I'll say thank you to Ed and all of you for joining us. We uh, try to do this as a value-added offering to all our clients, and we hope you found it uh, uh, worth your time. So again, thanks so much for all your help and being here today, and have a great rest of the week. And uh, for those of you who are in Pittsburgh, uh, avoid the raindrops. For those of you that were the sun shining, get outside and enjoy it. And hey, remember one thing. Be safe out there, folks. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.